Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. All right, so let's get into our main 10 o'clock conversation then discussing The Enemy Within. It's a book by Mpumele Lomkabela. Mpumi, before we get into the actual book and, you know, the thoughts that you have penned together, for those who might not know a lot about you, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, of course, are uh, somebody who, who, who cut your teeth in the streets, a journalist, and then what happened? Okay, that was not the deal. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to talk about myself, but no, the book. but just j- just for two seconds, so that people have context. Yeah, but very uh, briefly, uh, mm. professionally, I'm a journalist. Uh, I began the career of journalism in 1999, in December precisely, uh, having trained at Stellenbosch University. Um, and before that, having trained, uh, having um, completed my degrees in politics at the University of Limpopo. And yeah, so I began my journalism career at City Press and then went on to work for the Sunday Times. Uh, and then thereafter, Sunday Independent and uh, uh, Daily Dispatch as editor and Sowetan as editor. And uh, uh, briefly worked as station manager at Power. Um, at the time, it was Power FM. Power 987, and then after that, I went on to complete my uh, PhD, became a fellow in the the study for governance innovation at the University of Pretoria, and then uh, I also taught for a year in politics at the University of uh, South Africa, that is 2018, and then while I was consulting for corporate, and now I'm a chairman of a a private investment company. So so what I should be saying is is Dr. Mpumelelum Kabela. I, 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 I don't I like missed, to use I, that I term. missed I missed out that part. You should have asked the publishers to put doctor in front of it, you know. I'm going to add my own little doctor there in front of it. It works well if you are literally an academic and uh, you are teaching that's in if you are in if it was a doctor of philosophy, mm-hmm. but if you know a medical doctor it also works well if you are actually practicing. Um yes. The point is that throughout your career you've had the opportunity of watching what is happening in the country, particularly the political landscape from the lens of the different positions you have had as a reporter in different newsrooms. And also, I think, um, bringing in that insight of the work that uh, you're doing academically. And one gets a sense of that when they are reading this book, The Enemy Within, how the ANC lost the battle against corruption, because As South Africans, many of us opine about where we believe the party is with corruption, how bad the situation is and how it needs to change. But very few of us would actually have the kind of insight that you track in this book because you what you do is you take us to the very beginning, to the 1994 moment and how critical a moment it was for this country, but also how even in that moment, the ANC was dealing with the issue, a moral dilemma where corruption is concerned. And because it has never been able to resolve it from that democratic moment, it's it's almost still living with that moral dilemma slash complex now facing on 30 years of democracy. 
Yeah, true, Kathy. You know, um, these insights, you you get them as you work as a journalist. Journalists mm. are the most, I would say, the most uh, incisive political analysts because they are on the ground and they talk to a lot of people. They have a lot of information, not everything that they broadcast or report. Um, they don't report everything, I say, that they, 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 they've... They, that they learn, but they still know a lot still. So I get, I got my insights through the profession, during my work, interacting with people. But I was also interested in knowing more than just I was what I was observing. So I, I read a lot. Uh, and politics is my area of interest academically. So I read a lot of politics. So having done that, um, you still nonetheless have to decide if you write a book of this nature, what makes it into the book, what doesn't. There's a lot I could have written. I could have written 1,000 pages. But then, then I had to select a few things which I think tell the story of how the ANC failed to deal with corruption. And I start exactly where you point out, um, where I think they were first tested and then they failed the test, the first test. And that test came shortly after they, they, they got into power under President Nelson Mandela with uh, 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 Tabombeke as his deputy. And then they had to deal with the what what I call a moral dilemma, which I, I I think should have been easy to resolve, but it turned out to be nightmarish, and it and they took a wrong decision. And from then on, I think it was downhill. However, at the time when that decision was taken, I don't think you could have made a conclusion to say from now on the ANC is gonna go downhill. I don't think you could have made that conclusion. However, you can make that conclusion now with the benefit of hindsight mm. to say, where did it all begin? What was the problem? Then you can track it. What was that moment? That moment was when um, Bantu Olomisa made allegations against, uh, Bantu Olomisa was was a, a cabinet member during Thabo Mbeki's time, uh, during uh, Nelson Mandela's time, he was deputy minister actually. And then he made allegations against Stella Sitgao, who was then a minister in, in Mandela's cabinet of uh, government of, of national unity. And he claimed that Stella Sitgao had taken a share of a bribe that had been paid by Sol Kesner uh, during the then Transkei government, uh, paid to Matanzima. Um, and then Matanzima shared it with Stella Sitgao. At the time, Sol Kesner wanted a, a, a business license uh, basically to operate casinos in the Transkei. And uh, Holomisa got into trouble for making that allegation. And um, so the ANC investigated him and they put him on a disciplinary committee and they decided to fire him. So the point I make about that case is that the ANC decided to fire somebody who was making allegation, uh, who was making allegations of corruption, but they protected the person against whom the allegations were made. And from that moment, I, I, if you look back from now, you have a vantage point of history. You can see that uh, from then on, things didn't go well, especially if you look at the circumstances of the way Olomisa was expelled, uh, which eventually led him to form his own party, the, the, the UDM. But um, there was an issue there with Sol Kesner being a donor to the ANC. There was an issue with Sol Kesner, uh sponsoring uh, ANC leaders, uh, you know, sponsoring their holidays. Um, their stay in Sun City, um, uh, hotel stay, you know, providing jets. Um, Mandela's daughter, one of Mandela's daughters had, had, his, had her a wedding 
sponsored by, by Sol Kaisner. And Mandela acknowledges that. And one of his biographers, who was basically an authorized biographer for that matter, mentions it in, in Mandela's bio. But all of those things, you would not have made a lot of issue about them at that time. But with the benefit of hindsight, as I say, you can analyze them and unpack them and can see where the degeneration started, where the wrong decisions were made. When you track that time, you also make a point about how the Bantu Holomisa expulsion was dealt with. So it wasn't just this person is bringing the party into disrepute, we're getting rid of them. But there was a coordinated effort to brand him in a particular way within the public space. And that was a campaign that you argue was coming out of the ANC, despite the fact that effectively all he had done was, was you know, become a whistleblower of sort, where another one of his colleagues was concerned. Yes, interesting enough, that corruption didn't even happen in the under the ANC that Olomisa was talking about. It's corruption that had happened during the homeland government, during the apartheid era. So the question of how the ANC sought to, to um, sort of discredit him, even go on a campaign to discredit him, put together a document describing, describing him as a demagogue, involved in a demagoguery project, you know, that type of thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like mysterious. Um, so that's the thing about the ANC that, you know, if you, you did something which they didn't like, um, you know, uh, especially if you're trying to expose corruption as Olumisa did, then there was a whole lot of campaign that would uh, then ensue. And Mandela himself was involved in commissioning that campaign against Olumisa. And Jeremy Cronin was commissioned to actually write the document that would um, blackmail and discredit Olomisa as that kind of a person involved in some intrigue, scheming, and that type of thing. And um, I know, obviously, Olomisa, um, Mandela later on apologized to Olomisa, and Jeremy Cronin has since uh, expressed regret for getting involved in that type of uh, arrangement. But nonetheless, um, um, the decision was made to expel Olomisa, and the ANC had never reversed that decision. Uh, um, Mandela pr- apologized privately, and they became friends with Olomisa afterwards. But it still stands as a decision of the ANC that Olomisa is expelled, mm-hmm. and he was expelled for ex- for exposing corruption, corruption against a businessman who happened to be a donor to the ANC post ninety four. When we look further at the decisions that have been made by the party in the face of its members that are accused of corruption. Again, you make an argument about the fact that the ANC ultimately will choose the organization and what it believes is protecting the organization than actually dealing or taking strong action against those of its members who are caught up in corruption scandals, especially if those are playing out in the public space. Indeed. Um there are instances where I, I refer to um, people that had not been charged but are known to have uh, been involved in corruption, how the ANC behaved in that case. There are instances where people have been charged and they appeared in court. and some instances, they've already been convicted. And you could see how the ANC react to that. And their reaction is very consistent. Um, predominantly, the ANC takes the side of the person accused uh, of corruption. Um you take the Tony Engeni case, 
the John Block case. Um, you take the Jackie Celebi case and Mbeki's role in the Jackie Celebi case. Um, and then there are other instances of people that had not been charged of corruption, but the ANC kind of like, uh, you can see that it's supportive of them. Uh, one example is example of the former mayor of Johannesburg, uh, Jeff Makubu. May his soul rest in peace. Uh, he got involved in a lot of corruption and he eventually ended up at the Zondo Commission. Um, he did a lot of stuff for himself. He was a, actually a Mr. 10% for every deal that you, you know, he would get 10%, his company would get 10%, and the ANC would also get a share in, in donations. And um, But for some reason, the ANC didn't think of that as corruption. When journalists started raising these issues, mm-hmm. uh, it was all, it's almost as if every time issues are raised against somebody for uh, accused of corruption, um, it helps them to consolidate their power. They get more support. Um, so you you wouldn't have, for example, when, when there's a corruption case, we wouldn't have outside court placards of people supporting the NPA or supporting a judge mm-hmm. for, for nailing someone. Of court. You'll have placards of people supporting the, 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 the accused. And that's how it's happening now with the Zandile Gometa case in, 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 and her co-accused in Eteguini. So anyway, she even got to be promoted to be elected chairperson of the region in Eteguini, notwithstanding the allegations of corruption against her. So there's consistency in the way corruption matters are dealt with. And the ANC has not taken the side of the law, which ironically it's the ANC itself which actually passed those laws, mm. these anti-corruption laws. And, and and that moment, I think you highlight very well when reflecting on the day that Tony Ngeni was going to be going behind bars. Let's talk about that moment. I was there when the uh, Tony Ngeni was accompanied by his comrades. Hundreds of people lined up the streets from his ho- from his town in um, his uh, suburb uh, in. Uh, in Milnatsin, up to Polsmo. He had a whole lot of entourage accompanying him, senior ministers in government, people like Isop Bahad, um, uh, uh, um and many others. Uh, I remember that uh, people like Lindy Osusulu and uh, uh, the, the then Speaker of Parliament, uh, Balegam uh, you know, they went there to give him a, 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 you know, a pat on the shoulder, encouraging him and, and all of that. And yes, yet this is somebody who had gone all his way to solicit uh, essentially a bribe, if you may call it that way, um, from a, a company which was a subsidiary of a, the, um, one of the arms deal companies. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Tony Ngeni was chairperson of the uh, defense committee in parliament, basically the committee that would play oversight of how government was procuring those armaments. Uh, no no shortage <laughs> of ironies, right? <laughs> exactly. And uh, so... So, and here we are, after Tony Engen was convicted and the ANC still up, uh, elected him as to the National Executive Committee repeatedly, not just once, repeatedly. And today is one of the uh, well-regarded, inverted quotes, commentators on ANC and he, he's, he plays uh, uh, openly and he's one of those people who campaign actively for certain leaders and against others. So he's got a huge following. Um and uh, there's nothing wrong. It's like normal. Everything's perfect. We'll continue the conversation with Mpumelelo um, Mkabela and, of course, looking at the ANC, particularly from the perspective of the book that he has written, How the Party Lost the Battle Against Corruption. And this is part of the argument that he is making in the case that 
the, the fight for corruption by, uh, by the ANC has not been lost today in 2022, but that in fact it was a fight that was lost a long time ago. The consequences, however, just become more and more dire uh, for the country. For now, it's 10.30. Luyanda is standing by with a look at your latest news headlines. We'll continue with Mpumelelo after this. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Of course, I'll be taking your contributions to our conversation at 86 That's going to be a little later on. But in the meantime, that's the number to dial to get in touch on the studio line. On the WhatsApp line, you can send your voice notes 0614-104-107. And on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SAFM Talking Point. We're looking at the enemy within. Uh, Dr. Mpumelelom Kabela is the one that has penned this book, How the ANC lost the battle against corruption so you've you've tracked part of what you see as being the critical moments that were really defining moments um, for the ANC in the fight against corruption but the important make, point to make as well is that this is an organization that in its documents in its policies says a lot about corruption actually yeah. You can't analyze ANC's corruption without checking what they are doing about it and what they've done about it. And what I found is that the ANC literature, political literature, is very rich on anti-corruption stance. So they are not, um, you can't fault them for not speaking out against corruption in their mm-hmm. documents, in their declaration, conference resolutions, strategy and tactics document, you, you name them. So I, I also try to grapple with that. I analyze it. And you also won't miss it from the speeches of uh, their president, their leaders. Um, they talk about it all the time. In fact, even the most corrupt people are very much anti-corruption in rhetoric because they know that saying something against corruption looks good. They know that being anti-corruption is good. Being anti-corrupt is good. But none, So that's why they, they talk about it. But the doing is something else. Well, one of the interesting exercises that you embarked on for the book is that you looked at the ANC's January 8th statements and effectively compared data from each and every January 8th statement. So from President Mandela, Mbeki, Zuma and Ramaphosa and then basically looked at how many times each of these presidents had spoken about corruption and what it is that they had to say. It's on page 23. Let's run through some of those percentages because what is clear is that over the years, the ANC has been speaking more and more about corruption and, in fact, um, you know, a a message and a stance that is clearly anti-corruption, and yet the reverse is happening. Yeah, true. I mean, the exercise here uh, that I did was basically to take... um all the January 8th speeches from Mandela up to uh, uh, Ramaphosa, take the ones that have got most corruption mentions and then compare, um, uh, uh, basically draw comparison. And then I found that actually Mandela mentioned his highest mention in a January 8th statement speech was basically 2.77%. Uh, and in, uh, that was in 94. 
as well as in 96. And then uh, Thabo Mbeki in 2003, uh, which, his most corruption mentions in a single January 8 speech, uh, scored 25% in my table. And Jacob Zuma in 2010, uh, you know, he scored um, 41.66%. And President Ramaphosa, well, his term is not finished, but in 2018, um, the highest we could get from him was he scored 30.55% of mentions in a single January 8 statement speech. So basically, uh, from if you compare from Mandela to Ramaphosa, Jacob Zuma was the leader most concerned about corruption. Mm. Mm. At, at least that's part of what it says if you look at um, the official documents, the state or the, the, the January 8 statements that is. Yes. A, 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 and and the state of the nation addresses because you you run that comparison as well. You look at how and what he had said about corruption in his state of the nation addresses. Yes. So in the state of the nation addresses, uh, 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 Zuma scores second only to President Ramaphosa. So still, if you package both together, Zuma was the most concerned about corruption. Mm. And yet the state capture project, as we now call it, took place primarily under his presidency, at least in as far as the investigations we've conducted have allowed us to see. Yeah, and that's a whole issue of what one might call cognitive dissonance, where people mm. say something and act differently. And there's a whole chapter that analyzes uh, President, former President Jacob Zuma and his uh, attitude and actions towards corruption. And I analyze him basically as a split character and giving uh, um, a mixed authority to people who follow him. So rhetorically, as we have analyzed now, he would give um, directive that we must tackle corruption. But in practice, he would actually be leading the corrupt and basically telling people to do as they please with government money. There's an interesting phenomena that uh, you have coined in the book, and it's called political insurance. And it it takes me back to that moment of Batabile Tlamini, right, that says uh, everybody has smaller nyana skeletons. And I think it seems to me that you agree with that with that uh, concept. Well, people people made it a joke, <laughs> and we still laugh about it. Yes, like absolutely. But actually, what she was saying is very profound. And I don't think it should be taken as a joke because what she was saying is that we don't talk about this. Uh, we don't talk about these skeletons. So you don't go out if you are an ANC member. The culture and the practice is that you don't go out. And I guess that's the sin committed by Olomisa. You don't go out and talk bad about what other people are doing. You discuss these things internally. And remember, he was reacting to Mkabisi Jonas's uh, revelation that he had been offered uh, um, hundreds of millions of rents by the Guptas uh, as a bribe for him to become finance minister whom they can then use for their own benefit. So she was saying, no, in the end, it's wrong. You don't discuss those things out there. You discuss them with, with them inside. But there's another element I try to, to, to analyze in this book, which is it's basically a form of political insurance to say, listen, we know of each other's skeletons. So don't go out because we we might as well others will, other things will be revealed about you. Mm. So this knowledge of uh, each other's uh, uh, sort of crimes, if you like, 
or wrongdoing, if you like, or unethical behavior, if you like, makes it difficult for the ANC to fight corruption because whoever makes an allegation, people are going to say, hang on a bit, what about you? It's a form of whataboutism, but in a very much more substantive manner. I, I wonder if um, the current moment that we're in with the Palapala saga is an example, a manifestation of political insurance. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in a moment. I see we've got a break coming up. Let's take the break. I'm back with Mpumelelo after this. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Hi, good morning, Kathy. I am Pumelelo. It's Johnson Section 25 of the Constitution in Bombela, man. Look, what's your take, Mpumelelo, in relation with regard to the corruption? Because there was corruption that took place prior to 1994. The deals that were clinched during Coresa 1 and Coresa 2 in Kempton Park, there was corruption there. People were given shares in big companies. People were given money, build houses. Some of the comrades, you, you also know of those comrades, because that's where it all started for me during that time. What Zuma did is nothing compared to that corruption. Ask Mr. Mkabela this question. What is it that makes the people to follow the ANC even if they are corrupt? And even if they are leaders, some of the leaders are mentioned in this corruption case. What makes these people to follow them, even though aiding? All right, so those are just some of the questions that have come through from Pumelelo. I'll be taking calls in a moment as well. 086-000-2032. What do you make of his reflections, of his interpretation about why the ANC is struggling to win the fight against corruption? But let me give you a chance to answer those questions raised by our listeners. Yeah, well, the first question is, uh, what about the corruption of pre-94? Well, th- that's the point about this book, that this book is about what the ANC had promised to do um, before 94. Uh, the ANC had promised that it would not be corrupt, number one. Number two, the ANC had promised that it would undo the National Party stroke apartheid corruption, um, and it would set up a new morality for governance. Um uh, uh, President Nelson Mandela went on to say that uh, um, he would stop the gravy train of the National Party. And in fact, he would even reduce his salary. And he made a commitment that uh, um, uh, as the ANC, they will try to live the lifestyle of ordinary people. Mm. But I do mention, for example, in the context of the arms deal, that um, it would appear that uh, some of this, uh, some of the ANC comrades basically began striking deals as far back as 1991 at the first uh, uh, conference of MK uh, uh, on home soil. Uh, and, up, uh, and and people have uh, actually observed that during that conference, there were already arms dealers marketing their uh, products in that conference. And we all know what happened uh, after, during the procurement of, uh, during the arms deal uh, at um, procurement of uh, armaments for the South African Defense Force, that many of those people who were in that conference um, ended up getting commissions because they became agents helping the arms dealers to clinch the, the deals. So there is an element of that in the book, but it's in context. The, the, fo- the biggest focus is why is it that the ANC, how is it that the ANC actually uh, um, failed to honor its own promise mm-hmm. to itself 
and to also its own followers and also to the South Africans in general um, once it took over in 1994. And, and the question about why people continue to vote or even follow the ANC despite um, some of its key leaders being fingered in, in corruption? Well, I think that's a, a question of the ANC's uh, positioning ideologically. Mm. I, I often say that when people are frustrated about yeah, why people vote the ANC, it's corrupt and all of that. But when it comes to elections, it's not just about um, a, 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 a corruption uh, or good governance. Um, people consider other things. Um, the ANC as an organization that predominantly led the struggle uh, uh, against apartheid remains popular for that purpose and some other people will put that ahead of other considerations mm-hmm. including the rot that had set in however what i try and do in the book is to show that there's a relationship between um there's those values of the struggle and the issue of corruption in a sense that corruption is basically undoing the values that the anc fought for so the the party is now faced with a situation where its own credentials, its own value systems, um, the constitution that it fought for, that it wrote, it's being rolled back by the very things that itself it does Mm. in government. Mm. So I think it takes time for people to realize that. So it may well be that by the time people wake up, the ANC would have fixed its problems. It may well be that the ANC would never fix its problem and maybe eventually it will be voted out of power. It's already been warned. If you look at the... The judgment of uh, Shabir Sheikh, for example, the, the judge talks about like how if corruption is not dealt with, it leads to things like coups. Mm. Um, it's there in the judgment in black and white. In South Africa, because we are a democracy, it may well lead to the ANC being voted out of power. But I, I, I thought that was a strong warning from the judge. And unfortunately, as one of the things I mentioned in the book, unfortunately, judgments like that get caught in the mud of politics and the ANC is unable to learn from them. Mm. Let's come back to this issue of political insurance. And and I was asking precisely about the moment that we are in. A lot has been said about um, this issue of the theft that took place at Palapala, President Cyril Ramaphosa needing to account. But when we look at the defense, what those who come to the defense of the president say, they're like, well, Arthur Fraser has an agenda. And he is using this dirt in inverted commas against the president now because there's a December conference that's coming up. And it seems to almost muddy the waters in as far as the conversation we should be having around what it means for a head of state to be accused for what uh, you know, Ramaphosa is being accused of. Is this an example of, of political insurance? I think it is an example of political insurance because um, it is clear that Arthur Fraser had this information some time ago. And um, he, there are question marks about how he obtained it. Some people claim that he obtained it using his uh, position as head of intelligence uh, some people use, they think that he used his sources in intelligence because he was head of the state security at some point. But what is clear is that he had this information for some time. And he held it back. And perhaps he thought it was opportune now to raise it, especially in the context of what has come out of Zondo Commission against him. 
Um, so it's one of the things that I try to analyze. This political insurance where you keep stuff about another person um, that you know of in senior position in government or in the ANC, only to reveal it when it's politically convenient as, a, as, as political insurance. Um, basically to try to see if you can bargain that your own case should not be dealt with um, because you also have mad about other people. So, but it doesn't necessarily make it. You see, there are some instances where people say things about others which may be false, right? And but it's insurance in a sense that those people are assumed to be knowing something about what they are saying. They are in a position where they would have known, um, so they can lie about it. In some cases, it can be true. Um, so, the, the the allegations against Fraser, it is now clear that they have some truth in them. And the president has made some admissions. First, he admits he has already admitted that there was foreign currency on his farm. He publicly made that admission. Number two, he admitted that what the source of the money was. He said he, he trades in animals. He buys and sells, right? So that's already true. Number three, he's already admitted that there was a burglary on his farm. Then he denies criminality after that. That's no criminality. So, so clearly, Arthur Fraser had some... A ground here to 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 say something, but why didn't he say it all along? Mm -hmm. So it's one of the things I analyze, which makes it difficult for the ANC to fight corruption when you have stuff about other people, and there's always you are always scared that if I reveal, they will reveal about me. Do, do you think that that's part of how the, the party has come to function? That a, a critical element of being able to stay in some positions is to. Um, have as much dirt on your comrades as as possible because you never know when you might need it yeah i think it also goes back to the whole uh, paranoia that was mm -hmm. there during the apartheid era when the anc had a very clear enemy which was the apartheid system and so you know back in the day if you do if it got if it got known that you had any links with the security uh, apparatus of uh, of the apartheid regime, that's your death uh, sentence, sort of, in the ANC in your career or otherwise. You could even be detained within the ANC. In um, um, some some people were even tortured in, in in camps because, you know, they were said to be siding uh, 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 with the enemy. So if anyone had information about you back in the day around that. You are toast, basically. So, but now what has happened is that now that the ANC is in government, so there's no more apartheid uh, uh, enemy here. So the issue is now is within the party. So people are now like now trading with what they know of each other, mm. uh, and 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 beyond the trading, the political insurance also involves people being bought. People are basically available, uh, leaders, factions, groupings, you name them. They are available to be bought um, by business people who are looking for contracts or business people who may not necessarily be looking for contracts in government, but they've done something wrong and they need someone they know in government who can, at least they can give him something to, mm -hmm. to hold so that when they're in trouble, they can basically uh, redeem what I call redeem the insurance for protection. Mm. Does this fundamentally have to do with um, again, something that you speak about a lot in the book, um, this notion of we did not struggle to be poor. 
Well, I think to a certain extent uh, it does because what has happened, and this is what the ANC itself admits, that it has become a site for battle for positions and for battle for state resources. Mm. Uh, basically, people are fighting for over our, our money. Mm. Uh, the ANC admits that. And um, and by the way, it, it, there's a chapter where I deal with the ANC's declarations and, and against corruption. BEE comes out as one of the uh, what the NC believes what it was a source of corruption the NC itself says that BE could be a source of corruption so uh, it's not some opposition parties that said that the NC itself said that so but at the same time the NC can't deal with that problem because as an organization it is also part of it mm. it's not it's not done by individuals who are oh we didn't struggle to be poor no the ANC itself cut itself into deals where it gets donations as an organization or it's being cut into deals. So, I mean, there's a case, for example, in PE where a former mayor, in Kebeha, where a former mayor uh, was negotiating for his company to be paid a fee. He had uh, left politics, he had become a consultant and then he was negotiating and the municipality was disputing the invoice. Mm. Then he says to them, guys, uh, I'm going to if you pay me what I want, I'm going to give you 500,000 rand uh, of the payment. And then the, the, the officials dispute the invoice and they end up paying him what he doesn't want, uh, what he was not looking for. And mm. then he, he sends a note to the, one of the ANC officials to say, regrettably, you guys, I mean, what I promised you, you can't get. I promised you this 500,000, but you're not going to get it because your officials in the municipality didn't pay me what I want. So that's the kind of where the ANC itself gets involved in this, uh, so it can't say uh, it's individuals. The mm. party itself is involved. Mm. Tandukuhle Ngumalo says the ANC corruption problem, Kathy, started in Kodesa. Some comrades were bribed by the then government to agree to the sunset clauses, and those that didn't benefit there were told you will get your share when we govern. That's Tandogutle's view. Um, I've got a couple of more voice notes I want to take and uh, some callers. Let me kick it off with the voice notes. Hi, Kathy. Um, Ndlala from Vanabir Park. There are two state apparatus that were brutal against the ANC leadership back in apartheid era. Um, and that um, impact, it's still been felt even today by the current leadership. Well, what I mean by this is whatever the judiciary does to any of the ANC leadership, it will be viewed with those lenses of apartheid. And equally, whatever the security force does, it will be seen through those lenses of, of, of apartheid era. So until this kind of leadership um, disappears, we won't have peace, we won't have a free society, free of corruption, and uh, this will continue until foreseeable time and until we change and accept the presence of judiciary that is democratic in this country. Morning, Saskathi. Morning, um, listeners, and morning to your guests, Saskathi. It's a very interesting book. I definitely will make means to get it. Maria April Springbok in the Northern Cape. I was there in the 80s, and we also promised the issue of that. We will not take high salaries, but look at the high salaries in the municipalities and government departments. People even fight for, for more in, in, increase, etc. So what is he saying about that? Thank you. 
Um, one message here from Anonymous in PMB. Hi, Kathy. Please find out from your guest why Mr. Jacob Zuma is not displaying other people's dirt in public like others are doing. He promised South Africa that he will talk. Isn't this the time to spill the dirt? That's one question. And I know uh, you deal with uh, President Zuma in the book as well. Butana and Rosebank. Good morning, Butana. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning to your guest, Dr. Mpumalano. Spot on. Mm. Spot on. The playbook of thieving of the ANC started right there in exile. Probably Mpumalano remember, uh, Tomo Disa fundraised and he got money for the uniform of soldiers. And that uniform landed up in his father's shop. It was sold to individual soldiers. Yes, and Tatabutana. So, so effectively, that's that's your. Do you know of the example of Joe Mutise? Well, Joe I think. Mutise? I think. Well, he's talking maybe about uh, Joe Mutise's uh, dealings with the arms dealers. Uh, he was known to be close to certain companies that eventually won contracts in the in in the arms deal. So many books have been written about the arms deal, and he features Joe Mutise features consistently as one of the people who. Um, basically connived with Amstilas and mm. he, he had his advisors like Fanatlongwan who who are always accused of uh, uh, being involved in the Amstil and although they were exonerated in the Seriti Commission but the commission was uh, eventually declared by the court that report was reviewed and set aside because mm. the judges found that actually there was no effort to actually investigate the truth. So the Amstil as things stand um, had never been fully independently investigated. Been investigated it's yeah. one of the things that irritates Mbeki when we say this because he commissioned the AG public protector uh, a, a years back to do the investigation and then they, they came up with a report that said there was no corruption in the primary contracting and the government was not involved in the subcontracting. But I mean, we know through back dealings that actually that's where the subcontracting t- thing is it's tied down so yeah. by the time the primary contracting is given there's always an idea who's going to be the subcontractor which was the issue that shabir sheikh was fighting for because he too was also saying listen i want to be part of this deal i want to also get my cut mm. and uh, he got jacob zuma involved to negotiate for him Bumelelo, we have run out of time but just briefly before we go to the news i mean what is it going to take for the party to turn things around or even to uproot corruption? Is it possible given how deep the, the roots run? The, uh, well, very quickly, uh, uh, Katie, I think there are three scenarios that... Okay, if it's three, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought then. We'll have to uh, continue with you a little bit after news. It's 11 o'clock. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Nine after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. Still coming up in the show for our Africa Unlock segment, we're going to look at uh, the fighting that has resumed in uh, Ethiopia and, you know, that conflict between Ethiopia and Tigray. We'll find out what has sparked this latest round of conflict. Of course, it's been 
ongoing there for some time. We'll also then look at the Global <coughs> Philanthropy Alliance that's calling on entrepreneurs to apply for grants uh, for their businesses. Before we do that, I want us to conclude the conversation we've had in the last hour with Mpumelelo Mkabela, The Enemy Within. That's the book that he has penned, How the ANC Lost the Battle Against Corruption. So Mpumelelo, just before we let you go, I was asking, you know, just given the fact that you have described corruption effectively as being endemic in the ANC, because that's how deep it runs. It has very, very far roots that stretch, even if we go with what our listeners were saying, and I think you large, you largely agreed, pre-democracy. How does the party get rid of it now? Well, I was saying, <clears throat> I think there's uh, three scenarios going forward for the ANC. One is um, the party gets voted out of power, and that's a scenario that people like uh, Halemo Motlante have punted before. That once it's out of power, the people that are there for corruption, it, it will cease to be of interest to them mm-hmm. to remain in a party which is not in government where they can't use it to access resources. So it will cleanse itself once out of power and maybe when it comes back in future, it will, won't be corrupt. It would have learned a lesson. Hey, That's look, one scenario. Uh, how bitter will the fights be? I mean, look at COPE. They've got, what, two seats and people are still punching each other <laughs> in lodges over what, really? I, I, yeah. yeah, well, the, the second scenario is one where I think the ANC, they are trying to do that. Some people in the ANC are trying to do that now, where basically mm-hmm. the ANC gets rid of all of the corrupt people. And they're able to show South Africans that, listen, we have gotten rid of uh, all of the corrupt people from, you know, ordinary members to regional leaders to provincial leaders to national leaders we have cleansed the party so the party is clean um, and therefore once the party is clean it will then be able to instill the right values in the entire public service in government and in fact in the entire society even the private sector can learn from a very clean ANC that's one scenario uh, the the third scenario is one where the corruption gets so worse while the ANC might be in power but the ANC becomes, uh, the corruption gets worse and more people get killed. Because one of the things that has happened as a result of corruption is that people are dying. Mm-hmm. They are killing each other for tenders. Uh, if you are known to have blocked a tender for that was meant for someone, uh, tenders are not meant for business person. There's always another politician behind. If you get known to be blocking that, then you can be killed. Um, we know of Babita Diokoran, for example, in the Tempeza Hospital saga now. So as a result of that thing not being dealt with so you have a new struggle that is now actually uh, uh, begun which is what i call the post anc struggle Mm. the post 94 struggle basically this is led by people whose main task is to preserve um, the democratic order from being undermined by corruption and these are the people that are prepared to die for it so it's a new struggle we we're giving birth to new struggle heroes new heroines of the struggle so there might come a time in future where when we talk about the struggle, it might not be the struggle against apartheid. It might be the struggle for the preservation of democracy because we have gone out of the apartheid scenario. We are in democracy now. So so if you have to wage a struggle now, it must be the struggle to protect what we have because the struggle, because the democracy is the only mm. system that can enable individuals 
to unleash their potential, to be able to strive, to be able to be successful and all of that. So which scenario is likely to um, eventually hold? I leave that to the readers of the book. It, it sounds to me like you're leaning to number three. I'm not leaning to either, but what I, what I tried to do, I did mm. pay a lot of attention on the similarities between the apartheid struggle and what I call the post-94 struggle. And I mm. found some interesting similarities that the people that were fought in the apartheid struggle, they were prepared to die. They were prepared to go to a prison. They were prepared to be detained without trial. They were prepared to go to exile, say, forsake their families, uh, compromise their youth. And the people that are prepared to die now in the fight against corruption are also prepared to die. Mm. Um, they know that they are at risk. They talk about it. Look, I might be killed for exposing this, but it's okay. It's for my country. Uh, Tamba Masego says in his book. Um, someone says, uh, Selo Motipo, for example, for who exposed the Guptas and, mm. and their regiment company. She says, listen, you get divorced, you lose your job, no company wants to touch you, but I'll do it because it's for my country. One of them is in exile in, in the UK, uh, mo yeah, mobilizing against mm -hmm. uh, uh, corruption. The other day, he posted a, a book, which I, I, I hope people could get the irony of it. He posted a cover of a book. He was reading a book of Oliver Tambo. Think about this. Oliver Tambo was in exile in the UK, fighting against apartheid. Arthur Williams is in the UK in exile in democratic South Africa, fighting, for, fighting against corruption in South Africa. Mm -hmm. If you can't, if you can't get that kind of, if that doesn't strike you, then I don't know what will strike you. So these are the similarities I drew between those uh, anti-apartheid struggle heroes and the new heroes that are, are are being born now. The new ones, I may we may have to add them among the list of people that we praise, among the list of people that we honor. Bumelelom Kabela, we are completely out of time. Let me thank you so much for uh, having come into studio. Of course, uh, should I say that the book is available at all reputable bookstores? Yeah. Is that a, a good way? That's a good way. And oh. also on uh, reputable digital channels for the tech savvy. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming into studio. We certainly wish you all of the best with that book. Yeah. If you have a moment, take a chance to read it. I think um, it certainly puts a lot of things in context, especially for a year that is such a big one for the ANC. We'll take a quick break and then we're back with Africa Unlocked.